Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. What is going on, podcast family? I hope that you're having an amazing day wherever you are in the world. We have an absolutely mind-blowing episode for you today. My friend Robert Grant is on. We met in Egypt, and when he was there, he presented that he made some mathematical breakthroughs, which have uh, since been proven. Um, I've talked about him a lot, and he's also went back to Egypt and made a major discovery. So this one's on YouTube. I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube. If you go to uh, Matt Belair's show, you're going to see all of his slides. So definitely check this one out on YouTube if you can. Um, Basically, we talk about uh, the new discovery found in the great pyramid which is the possible mark of the builder um so this is a really amazing episode um if you can check it out on youtube but we talk about robert's incredible background alchemy alchemy math as language and how he came up and discovered these breakthroughs uh moving away from reductionist science replacing your fear with gratitude um, replacing judgment with acceptance Fifth Dimensional Encryption, Infinite Series of Oscillating Cryptography, The Templar Cross, um, His Major Discovery in the Pyramid, The Bible, The Tetragrammatron, Sacred Numbers, The Rosencrucians. Like, this is mind-blowing. Uh, I did his course on Resonance Science. Um, he did something called the etymo- Etymology of Number, and you can check that out. If you go to resonance.is forward slash zen um you'll get a discount there and you can check out resonance academy it's only 21 bucks a month and you can take robert's course there um we're also talking about the arc crystals so if you go to bit.ly forward slash arc crystal a-r-k crystal um then you can check out the arc crystals we're talking about as well so this is really a mind-blowing episode if you like it please share um thank you to everybody who has been supporting the podcast um the best and most important and greatest way to support the podcast to do one actual action of kindness today don't just think about it do it hold the door open pay it forward let somebody in in traffic um somebody a kind note anything do an actual action of kindness please um you can also leave a review and i want to thank uh minksu bella who wrote wonderful and heartwarming empowering and accessible to everyone on a course of self-development and spiritual journey mind body and spirit at its best thank you well thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review i really appreciate it if you want to support the podcast further please take an action and go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair and just toss a buck in the bucket help me do my thing and make more episodes and even better quality so i can bring these stories and messages to you for those of you guys who want to look at coaching just hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and fill out the form um, i work with kind of three types of fee- people which would be you know people looking to level up in their life and design and create the life of their dreams from zero to hero basically you don't know what you want to do to how to live and co-create you know within yourself the life that you want to do uh, the life that you design 
people who are high achievers. So they're, you know, business people, entrepreneurs, CEOs um, that want to learn all these peak performance consciousness strategies and as well as athletes. So if, if you guys want to do that, hit me up. And I'm also doing 90 minute sessions to break through any limiting beliefs, blocks, things like that. Help really powerfully align you in one session so that you will have homework to do and you'll be, um, you know, getting through whatever it is that you're trying to get through. Um, I want to thank my sponsor as always, well, currently always, because he is the man, David Lonebear Senapass. You want to check this man out. He is truly extraordinary. If you go to lonebearsarts.com, and you can also check out Distant Ancient Echoes on Facebook. We're posting more stuff there. He's starting to release a little bit more information. Um, and we're going to be doing some podcasts together, sharing some of the technology, some of the art, some of the uh, history that he has that is extraordinary extremely unique. So um, definitely go and support him. Um, make sure you go over to my website and sign up for the email list. There's a there's a lucid dreaming. If you just go forward slash lucid dreaming, you can check out as well. So that's it. Let's get into this episode. I've been yammering way too much. Um, and uh, let's just come into a state of quick peace and coherence wherever we are in the world. Um, and just we'll do this on accepting all of ourselves, just complete and total acceptance. So wherever you are in the world, stop what you're doing and take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just set the intention to accept yourself fully and completely. All the light, all the shadow, everything you've ever done, just full, complete and total acceptance. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day and any part of you that's not accepting who you are. Taking another deep breath in through your nose and really doubling this feeling and this intention to accept yourself, everything, totally and completely as you are with no changes. And just let that breath out slowly with any limitation, any self-doubt, any non-acceptance. Taking one more deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath, just doubling the feeling of acceptance, self-worth, just allowing yourself to be as you are. And there we go. That's it. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode. This is going to be part one of two. And like I said, definitely you want to you want to look at what he's doing um, on YouTube so you can follow along with the uh, images that he provides because it's really mind-blowing stuff. It's very advanced. And uh, if you want to see more, just go to resonance.is forward slash zen and check out the etymology of number course. It's truly uh, a game changer. It's, it's incredible stuff. So Let's get into it with my friend, the man, Robert Grant. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the founder and vice chairman of Alfion Corporation, a leader in the rapidly growing field of lifestyle healthcare. He is currently the chairman and managing partner at Sprathbeat Crown and is an independent board member at Myoscience, AccuFocus, and Reshape Medical, all leading lifestyle healthcare companies. Additionally, he sits on the board of many many university and charitable organizations. He holds a BA from Brigham University and an MBA from Thunderbird and has attended the President's Seminar at Harvard Business School. He is the creator of the Etymology of Number, a course available on the Resident Science Foundation and has made groundbreaking mathematical discoveries and most recently a major new discovery in the Great Pyramid of Giza while on a recent trip to Egypt. Welcome to the show, my friend Robert Grant. What's up, brother? Hi, good to see you. 
Good to see you, man. We've been talking about this for a while, and uh, every single time we catch up, there's something new and amazing. It's, it's, it's been absolutely crazy. I think since you and I were in Egypt together in October of last year, I, I think it feels like my life's on fast forward right now. And, uh, but it just keeps getting more interesting and better and better, and I, I couldn't be happier. I'm loving the moment. Amazing. Well, yeah, it's, it's your background and where, what you've done is so fascinating, you know, business to the max, very successful in that world, accomplished a lot, did a lot of things. And then when I watch your presentation in Egypt, it's all on math, math. And you came to these amazing conclusions through kind of seeing math from a different way from language, because you know how many languages seven and very good at music. And so you're, you're going into math, which obviously there's correlations there and making these major discoveries, which have now been proven or however that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proven. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I, uh, I was a musician. Um, I had a music major my first few years of college. And then I had to make a choice. Was I going to be good enough as a performance major? I, I was a trumpet player and I was first chair at Brigham Young University, which is very competitive. And I was top in the state uh, before I went to college. And I knew I was pretty good, but I knew I probably wasn't good enough to make a career out of it. So like most people, I think you kind of are forced to make a decision between, you know, kind of a more professional, more dependable career and, uh, and you're probably early 20s or whether you're going to be an artist or a starving artist or a starving musician. And I, I kind of opted not to have the starving part. So I, <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, you know what, I, I got to buckle down and get practical. And so I ended up going to MBA school. And uh, I really enjoyed business and the creativity side of business. And I worked in really cool companies, both large and small. I worked for Dunlop, a big Sulzer uh, uh, engineering company based in Switzerland. I lived in nine different countries. I became president of Allergan, which is a big pharmaceutical company. Uh, I was CEO at Bausch & Lomb Surgical as well, which is another big pharmaceutical company. And then I decided I just couldn't be evil anymore. That's a joke, by the way. But there's, uh, there's some truth to that because I don't think that the people that work in the pharmaceutical industry are at all evil. But I think to a certain extent, the industrial complex of healthcare has some like unfortunate tendencies associated with it. And so I decided to, to break off of that and no longer participate in that same way. And I guess in healthcare, I'm a little bit of a renegade, a little bit of a rebel. Uh, I revel in my rebellion. And, um, and it's been kind of fun to create the first Medicare opt-out uh, group of companies uh, with Strasby Crown. And now we have 14 companies in our group. And most of them are healthcare, but we also have energy companies too. And we also do investments. Uh, and those of you that uh, know Nassim Haramine, he is uh, a partner of mine. And I was the one that convinced him to move from Hawaii and the entire Resonance uh, uh, Academy and Foundation uh, from Hawaii to Southern California. I'm actually meeting with them in a couple of hours. So uh, looking forward to seeing the sim and catching up with him. He's a great friend and a brilliant scientist. And we've been collaborating together for quite some time now, about four or five years. So this mathematical journey for me has been one of uh, surprise, I would have to say. I never thought in any way, uh, even five years ago, that five years later I'd be publishing on you know, the first infinite series of prime numbers and proving that to infinity. I never thought that I would be doing that, which then of course that has big implications on math and science and music and geometry and sacred geometry, but it also has big implications on cryptography. So 
You know, the last few days I've been very concerned because I knew that as soon as we cracked the prime number code into infinity, that some people would look at that in a totally different way and use it for theft or crypto mining or whatever. And unfortunately, I think that's already starting to happen now. Uh, all private keys and public keys of cryptography are associated with prime number indeterminacy, which means it cannot be found. Um, and you have to use massive computer factorization at a huge cost and huge uh, usage of, of energy, electricity, uh, to run the processors. And uh, the last few days, I've had like cryptocurrency companies and blockchain experts come and visit me randomly. And it's been absolutely insane. So like I said, I, uh, I, I didn't expect that I would have this journey culminate into where I am now uh, to create the first true unified mathematical sort of formula that forms the foundation of a unified physics model. And it ties directly to consciousness as well. So uh, I have to say I'm very excited, but also like not sure what's going to happen next because it's just been a whirlwind and a, an exciting and fun roller coaster that I'm enjoying and loving right now. What can I say? Amazing, man. Yeah, amazing. Well, even when we met in Egypt, uh, you did a, an amazing presentation there that I was grasping and trying to figure out what was going on. And then I did the etymology and number course, and that was extremely fascinating. And we've kind of kept in touch since then. And, you know, the, these discoveries are leading kind of opening Pandora's box one after another after another, these implications. Um, and then you went to Egypt and you did some incredible stuff there. You made a major discovery there and, and it's all linked up. Uh, you looked a little bit at uh, Alan Green's work as well as done yeah. some incredible work on the pyramid and mathematics. Um, and, I and, collaborated, if, and he's a brilliant man and I love his work on the constants in the pyramid. And I had come to the same conclusion on the constants as well, just completely independently. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Isaac Newton and Kepler and all these people that were fantastic, uh, you know, changers of the human condition and paradigm scientifically, were all alchemists. They were all avid studiers of the Great Pyramid and the mathematics of the pyramid. In fact, 80% of the work of Sir Isaac Newton was on the Great Pyramid and on alchemy in particular. Bill Gates bought all of that work because Cambridge University disavowed themselves of that work. They were very happy to take his theories on gravity and inverse square law and such, but, and like Kepler as well, Kepler's laws of motion, but they didn't want any of the esoteric or the mystic part of it because what Isaac Newton was trying to prove was that there is a higher consciousness and that higher consciousness creates an order and patterns emerge off of that. And so I kind of took the, opposite approach to Cambridge University because I wanted to understand that better and using my background of language. Uh, I speak Korean, Japanese, Chinese, French, German, uh, Spanish, and Hebrew. And having learned all those languages in a system for languages, I started to number, I started to notice that there is a language embedded in numbers. There's a language, a true language that's embedded in mathematics. And this language is very different. It's a language where numbers are words, individual numbers are words. The mathematical constants like pi and phi and alpha and Euler, those become the verbs of action. And circles in geometry organize the syntax of the language and the communication. And it's kind of like that movie uh, Arrival or Contact where they all of a sudden flipped it and then found a language embedded that they could then interpolate and utilize to, you know, kind of figure out the big, big mysteries of, you know, superluminal travel, et cetera, gravity control, um, wormhole travel, like in the movies. And 
You know, sometimes art imitates life. And what we're seeing now is this mathematical complex and this language that comes out, and I teach a good portion of it in the Etymology of Number course. I'll be teaching an advanced course for those who've already completed the Etymology of Number course. Um, I teach a good portion of it, but it's continually emerging, and on a day-by-day -day basis, we're finding new discoveries. And that means things like the prime number pattern, being able to infinitely generate prime numbers, and uh, also new constants totally new mathematical constants, and that the constants are completely interrelated with each other. And often, it's as simple as a constant would be the radius of a circle with a, another constant as its circumference. And these are the constancies that interrelate with each other. And in mathematics, everyone thinks they're completely unrelated. But we can prove them now in geometry, and it ties perfectly into music and everything else we see around the world that we live in and it paints all of our experience. And I think one of the big things that we're gonna to start to see as well is that the way to understand the nature of matter and the nature of light is to truly understand the nature of vacuum, space, and darkness. And that's you know, a very, very exciting field because once we start to get into that field, then the great, great things that have been absolutely elusive to our understanding as human beings I think are going to be, they're going to come to light and it's going to have a big impact on humanity. Amazing. And does that tie into like, what, like, what do you believe the pyramid is, is trying to show us? Because it's mathematical in, in every way they have the cubit, the centimeter, I think even the mile, like everything is encoded in there and that's lining up to the math that you're discovering. Uh, so I'm just curious, where do you want to start with it? Like um, describing some of these, things that you've discovered in a way that we can understand what you learned in Egypt, which was pretty incredible, or are the implications that this has on, on the world and the planet? Cause I know that you have a, like a laser company too, or something. Yeah. I was uh, formerly president of a company called coherent medical, which was one of the largest laser companies in the world. So I've worked in photonics for 25 years. I have several patents in the field of photonics as well. Uh, even though I'm a business guy, I've always been one person of very broad interests. Um, you know, art and music and mathematics and science. And part of the message here is that there is something to be said about finding a balanced experience that really balances kind of the five points of a, of a star, which would be, and you find this all the time in alchemy, which is music, math, art, and science and philosophy. And when you balance your mind, then like the other philosophers, as well as what we refer to as the polymaths, the da Vinci's, the Keplers, the Descartes, the Voltaire's, the Plato's, the Aristotle's, and the Socrates of the world, and the Pythagoras's of the world, you are able to tap into a, a higher understanding when you can connect the dots across all those disparate fields, which is exactly the opposite of what we learn right now in our current educational system. We are taught, because of commercial reasons, we are taught to, to learn scarcity. And what that means is you want to be the most specified you could ever be, right? You want to, you're going to go into biology. I can't just be biology. I have to be like a nanotechnology, you know, DNA uh, or transfer RNA biologist. And that's all I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to stay in that little zone. And that's not where innovation happens. Innovation happens when you basically stand on top of it, step back, and you can stand far enough from the tree to see the forest. And then utilize learning from one field and apply it to another. And then you start to see patterns and language form. And that's where you get syntactical communication that occurs. And so 
the current school system and the current paradigm with mathematics and sciences is all very reductionistic. And it's because the more specified I become, the more scarce I am. If I'm super specified, I get a PhD in something, someone, if they want that thing, they have to pay me more money for that. Well, not everything's about money in this world. In fact, most things are not. And I think we're starting to wake up and understand that, that it's not all about money. And if you really want to tap into a higher cosmic awareness and consciousness, the way and the doorway to do that is through obviously all the mind body stuff that you work on, but it's also about balancing your understanding in each of those disciplinary areas. And when you do that in combination with allowing yourself to, you know, replace fear in your life with gratitude, I gave a Ted talk on that and I'm going to give another Ted talk soon at the United Nations on replacing judgment in your life with acceptance. When you balance the emotional, the psychological, the physical, the conscious, right? As you evolve in your consciousness, then all of a sudden you start to get this life that kind of turns on its head. And this life that turns on its head becomes one where all of a sudden you're accepting of people around you, you're less judgmental, you're less polarized, and because of that, your existence becomes one of acceptance and happiness and joy. And I think this is part and parcel of the journal, journey that I had embarked on probably four or five years ago as I dived deeply into mathematics to find that language of number. And I'm excited here to share some of it with you today and also to share with you a recent discovery that I had in the pyramid. Uh, I think I may be one of the only people in history that has now spent three nights in the pyramid. Uh, I did one night with you when we were there in October, uh, October 5th, 2017, on that full moon night. It was epic. You know, we did all three pyramids. And it's not like the pyramids on Airbnb. You can't, like, you know, like find it and, like, I'm going to rent this thing, right? It's not how it works. So you definitely have to know somebody. And through that connection and that evening, I ended up becoming friends with uh, a few of the guys that manage the Giza Plateau. And it's been exciting for me because I was back in Israel with about 12 of my friends and they're all CEOs of companies and a group I'm a member of called the Young Presidents Organization. And I invited them to come with me to spend a night in the pyramid. And then I went ahead and asked for it again the next night by myself. So I actually got to do a night in there by myself. And I have to say it was uh, one of the most, if not the most, probably the most amazing experience of my entire life. So I'm happy to share this with this group here. I've uh, done it three times. I think the, the people that have done it all night before by themselves that I know of are uh, basically Alexander the Great. Um, uh, there's also Julius Caesar and Napoleon Bonaparte. I think Aleister Crowley did too, but you know, I don't know what his deal was, but uh, I, I heard that he had done that. So, you know, there must needs be an opposition to all things, I guess. But, but that's, uh, who knows, right? I'm not going to make any judgments there. So I'd be happy to take you through some of the discovery here. Uh, I have a presentation that I can uh, take you through uh, that I presented at Contact in the Desert a couple of weeks ago. And I was sort of a write-in on the schedule at the last second because, uh, you know, the discovery I had was the first writing found, the first, like, etched writing that's uh, not believed to be at all graffiti. Uh, in the king's chamber and um, strangely it was right on the rim of the sarcophagus in the king's chamber so i'm going to take you guys through some of that and the more bizarre part of it was that candidly on the flight from israel to egypt i had been drawing 
uh, using the Vesca Pisces, the geometry of the letter A and the letter M and omega symbol. And so I had been drawing it on the flight over there. So I have all my notebooks and everything from that period on the flight towards Egypt from Israel. And, uh, you know, interestingly, those were the symbologies, those are the symbols that I ended up finding on the rim of the sarcophagus in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. And not only that, but also a circle with a compass uh, right next to it. And I'm gonna show everyone uh, photographs I have of that. And I can tell you, it was very difficult to get the photographs because the Egyptologists that were with me, and I had four with me, they were all pretty much freaking out because uh, they'd never seen it before. And uh, you'll see it, and it's quite obvious, and it's mind-blowing that it hasn't been discovered before. And in addition to that, as you recall, the last time we were in Egypt, uh, a few days after we left, they discovered new chambers above the Grand Gallery using muonic transfer. And that's kind of interesting because the two times I have spent in the pyramid, there have been like significant discoveries that have all of a sudden popped out of those time periods. So uh, I think that raises other questions, but I'm excited to take you through this presentation. And uh, thanks again for the invitation. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. And just as a side note, for those of you who don't know, I highly recommend checking out the course, The Etymology and Number, but your notebook is extraordinary. You know, and, and, and a lot of this comes back from you, you know, you say if you want to, your, um, the, the mirror, the mirror of consciousness, you know, you write it down. So you're integrating the math and the artistic side. So you're, you're, you're working with your polarity and growing at an exponential rate. Well, it's funny you say that because I wrote this, I started this book, um, you know, about uh, July 2014, right? And, and I titled it from the very beginning, The Quantum Mirror of Consciousness. And I didn't even realize that on the cover, I didn't really notice it. I knew it had these sort of like shocker thing. I was looking for a really big book that had kind of like parchment paper. And I just found this in Chakra Shack and I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. But I never noticed that the symbol on here was actually the phi symbol. Right. And the mirror itself of consciousness is based on the mathematics of phi, which is really interesting. So here's your line, like a number one, the cross is right between the north-south axis on a circle, which is very interesting. So, um, yes, I have like lots of stuff in here. I'll just show you a few pages. And these are like my drawings and everything. They've all been registered now uh, with our attorneys. And this is the prime number chart discovery. Um, this has all been registered now with the Library of Congress, actually. Uh, this is kind of like how electromagnetism works, right, along a numerical pattern because everything is number. And this is all the type of stuff that I teach uh, in the Etymology of Number course. And inclusive of this is, uh, you know, all the geometries of what the patterns of rational and irrational numbers are and how they interrelate with each other and how they emerge amid the prime numbers. So uh, this has been really exciting. I was kind of blown away when I, I had lunch with um, one of the top mathematicians in the world, Daniela Strupa, who is at the CEO of uh, Chapman University, about two weeks ago, and I showed him the prime number pattern and figured out the pattern to be able to determine prime numbers uh, accurately into infinity without any factorization whatsoever by discovering a different type of prime number. So the answer, to finding prime numbers into infinity was to understand that there are three types of prime numbers and one of them had never been discovered before and they're called quasi prime numbers. And those quasi prime numbers are divisible by other prime numbers and products of prime numbers that are greater than the number five. 
So it's a new type of prime number, and they all line up perfectly in the same moduli of where the prime numbers line up on a 24-hour clock. Now, what's interesting from that is that by understanding how the prime numbers operate and how you can create the products of primes, and that creates all the quasi-primes, all the numbers that don't get generated on the chart into infinity, and we've now proven it on supercomputers and such, as well as with infinite equations, uh, all the numbers that don't get generated are by definition prime. And nobody believed me, even my own research team. They're like, this isn't gonna work. I said, just run the calculation. I did it on the back of an envelope on the flight to uh, Salzburg, Austria, about a week ago. And they're like, no, this isn't gonna work. I said, just humor me, please run the calc on a spreadsheet, a regular spreadsheet. And all of a sudden I said, just run it up to 10,000. And one of my colleagues here, Nauman, says, I, okay, I'll do it, I don't think it's gonna work. He ran the calculation. And he sends me an email like at midnight that night saying, holy shit. <laughs> He's like, this worked. I don't understand why it's working, but we accurately predicted every single prime under the number 10,000. And I was like, okay, cool. So it's exactly, it sort of proved the theory. Then we tested it further over the course of the next few days and we published it the next day. And of course, we've had every crypto person <laughs> imaginable like, call us up or like write on the page, like kind of nuts, totally nuts. Uh, we didn't do this so that we could crack cryptocurrency, even though every encryption on the planet is tied to prime number indeterminacy. Well, if it becomes determinacy, not indeterminacy, then you got a real problem with all encryption. So we are trying to figure out the way to, uh, to create a new encryption now that is fifth dimensional. And uh, I've been working on this for the last couple of days. It's very exciting stuff. And it will be uh, what I'm referring to now as an infinite series of oscillating cryptography. And it'll be infinite. There's not gonna be any more like 256 bit encryptions and stuff like this. We're gonna kill all of it. And none of it's gonna be prime determined either because we know that that's inherently now weakened because you can predict primes into infinity now. So, you know, these are obviously all these big equations, et cetera, I've done all of this work. Um, and, you know, I would say that just off of this chart of figuring out you know all the prime numbers and of course it has the shape of a templar cross which is very interesting because what it says is that maybe somebody understood this before in ancient history maybe this isn't such a new invention after all maybe it's just a, an opening right of consciousness that was already available and i'm not the one who's gonna try to conjecture that point right now all i can say is i do believe higher knowledge is on the planet in the past, and I think the pyramid is probably the most salient example that we could ever find, because every major mathematical constant, even the ones that were not discovered until the 20th century, are embedded in that one piece of incredible architecture. So, and I'm gonna take you guys through some of that. So, if you like, I'm gonna go ahead and do a share screen now. Okay, and right here. You're in. Okay, let me hit play. Okie doke. All right. So this is the pyramid. Uh, obviously a familiar sight to everyone, even those who haven't visited the pyramid. And off here to the left, you'll see the sarcophagus. It looks like there's a Y shape there. Lots of people ask me all the time, how did that like side break off like that? I don't have any clue. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you can see at the bottom left, this is the king's chamber. And Matt and I were in that room. Uh, together with some of our other buddies, Adam Roa, and you know several other folks like Victoria uh, Foster and um, and Andrea Maloney, and we just had a great time that night. 
And this is the structure inside the pyramid. So you can see the king's chamber, the air shafts, and then all the way down underneath the pyramid, about 150 feet. And underneath the pyramid in the subterranean chamber, there's a well, and then there's a shaft that ends in a wall. Uh, it's about another 80 or so feet. And that shaft is kind of spooky, scary, I'll be honest. Uh, actually, uh, Drumville and Melchizedek wrote about that shaft and how he was scared going into that shaft. The first time I went into it, I was, uh, I was shit scared too. And uh, it just felt weird in that shaft. There's something different. All the walls inside that are limestone, but they've totally crystallized. So there's dust, unlike every other place in the pyramid, there's not a lot of dust. Um, I don't know that someone comes in and cleans the place, but you don't find dust everywhere. But inside that shaft that ends in a wall at the subterranean chamber, uh, there's probably an inch thick of like crystal dust on the floor all the way through. And there's only enough space in there to literally crawl on your stomach. And you can't even really turn around either. You'd have to be really, really small to be able to turn around in there. Uh, and it's super dark. It is incredibly dark inside there. So uh, this time around, I went very well prepared. I brought one of those like nerd uh, sort of like head contraption. So it's got a little flashlight on it and everything. And I was not going to be left in the dark anywhere because it's a pretty scary place, particularly when you're in the pyramid all by your lonesome. Uh, but you've got the run of the place. But by the way, mind you, just going up and down those freaking stairs in that thing, my legs were sore for days. Okay, so it's not like you're going to run up and down stairs back and forth and everything because you would not be able to walk for the next few days. And you're crouched over, so your back hurts. And I'm getting a bit older now, so it was pretty painful, but it was literally the experience of a lifetime. So as you see in the bottom right-hand corner, you're gonna see that uh, the pyramid is oriented around four uh, cardinal zodiac signs. Uh, one of them in the upper left is the water bearer, or Aquarius. Then you've got the bull uh, with Taurus. In the bottom right, you have, of course, Leo. Uh, and then in the upper right, you have Scorpio. Now, in ancient times, Scorpio was not referred to as a scorpion. Scorpio in ancient times is always depicted as an eagle. So Scorpion is the only, Scorpio is the only zodiacal sign that goes through this transformative process through their life. You start out as a scorpion, sometimes it turns it into a snake, then from snake it goes into an eagle, then from eagle it goes into a phoenix, and it culminates in the phoenix. It's like an ascension process. And um, your zo zodiac is not only the one in the month that you're born in, but you also have elements of the four cardinals, right? So it'd be three months apart to calculate which other ones are gonna be your orientation. Now, of course, uh, Taurus is Earth, I'm Taurus. My birthday is May 16th. And, um, and so my opposite sign would be Scorpio, right? So I have characteristics of Scorpio. Earth sign is Taurus, water sign is Scorpio, right? And you've got air and, and fire, right? In the other two signs. And so it's like a mixture, how they all basically interplay and work together to figure out, you know, how you end up in your personality, what your identity is, and what your shadow is also. And your shadow is mainly going to be what you deny in yourself and don't want to see. And if you want to take a Myers-Briggs test, it would be your opposite Myers-Briggs test as well, which is actually just as much you. It is your shadow consciousness. And life is all about learning to accept that side of you that you're ashamed of. Because as soon as you can accept that side of yourself that you're ashamed of, then you can truly accept everyone else around you and your whole existence and life dramatically shifts to a higher plane. Now we'll go to the next slide. 
And this is a, a picture, of course, of the King's Chamber. And interestingly, the sarcophagus is exactly, it's 89 inches long and 89.62 uh, inches, in fact. And it is uh, 38 and a half inches wide. And it just so happens to be the inner dimensions fit precisely over the size of the Ark of the Covenant that's mentioned in the Bible. And you have to make the conversion of the Ark of the Covenant from the biblical cubits to the Egyptian sacred cubit or the royal cubit. And interestingly, that by itself is a mathematical constant. The Egyptian royal cubit uh, is 1.71828 feet. And that 1.71828, for those of you that might be mathematicians on the call, you might recognize the 0.71828 is the same as what you see in Euler number. So the Euler number is 2.71828. So Euler minus one is the Egyptian sacred cubit. Kind of interesting that they had that degree of precision. So I have studied the pyramid inside out, backwards and forwards. I would say that as far as like the mathematical uh, dimensions of the pyramid, and this is not something that you can really go and learn in school. You can learn a pathway to start to study it, but in order for you to get the full benefit from it, you almost have to be an autodidact. That means someone who teaches himself or herself, and then it somehow embeds in your brain and it changes to a degree your way of looking at things in the world. So I started noticing uh, that mathematical constants were embedded in the pyramid even before I was introduced to Alan Green and his work. Um, and there were a few other people that had done similar, but not a lot had been published on it. And there's probably several other people that haven't published at all because I also, for a long time, had not published or talked about it with anybody until Nassim finally uh, sort of encouraged me and convinced me that I should go ahead and start publishing my work. But I didn't want to do it just in a full access platform. And so I did it through a course on the Residence Science Foundation and the Academy. And it's now, it was the first elective course that, uh, that they offered. So uh, you can find the course there, and I encourage you, if you want to learn the language of light and the mathematical language that is sort of the universal language and how that has impact on virtually everything, art, music, science, uh, mathematics, and philosophy, then I encourage you to take the Etymology of Number course. But what's interesting is that the Bible itself talks about as well the, the four faces on the angel. Now, all of us have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm sure, right? I was a big fan of... of uh, uh, Indiana Jones and so I was always wondering you know you can never see the faces of the angels with their wings outstretched on the Ark of the Covenant all the depictions of it their heads always down and so I went searching in the Bible to see if I could find any reference to it and of course I found it in Ezekiel 1 4 through 14 and in that section of the Old Testament it says as for the likeness of their faces each had the face of a man each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. Each of the four had the face of an eagle. Now, there's that same combination again. It's basically the eagle is Scorpio, the lion, Leo, the face of the man is Aquarius, and the face of the bull is Taurus. And I read further and found that in the camp of Israel, when Moses was leading the children of Israel through 40 years of, you know, tearing through the wilderness, trying to find the land of milk and honey. They had the tabernacle. So uh, the, the story goes that, that they crossed through the Red Sea, Moses parted the Red Sea, and everyone was able to cross the Red Sea on dry land. And then Ramses followed him. You've all probably seen the movie with Charlton Heston on Moses. And 
you know, the river, the, the, the whole Red Sea closes on everybody and everybody like gets killed. The, the, the Egyptians that are following after them, uh, after they'd already let them go peaceably after, you know, the, the locust storm, the, you know, the death of the firstborn children, all that stuff, right? You remember the story of Pesach uh, in Hebrew or the Passover. And what's interesting about it is that there's another reference in the Bible that talks about Moses crossing over the Jordan River. And in that particular reference as well, the same thing happens. They part the, the Jordan River. And with that parting of the Jordan River, with that parting of the Jordan River, basically what happens is that uh, the same exact thing happens. And the point is that it is, you are led to believe in the Bible that, that Moses was commanded to build the Ark of the Covenant. But, and the exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant were given as well. But maybe those dimensions that were given to house the Ark of the Covenant was actually the box that went around the Ark of the Covenant when it was stationary. Now, there's a lot of references to the Ark of the Covenant and the holding poles and everything. And Uzziah, the famous one in the Bible in the Old Testament, you're never supposed to try to steady the Ark. God knows how to steady himself. So he tries to steady the Ark and bam, he gets hit by lightning and he's done. Right? This is like, you know, how it all goes down. I believe, based on the dimensions inside the Great Pyramid, that it is possible that the Ark of the Covenant originally resided within the sarcophagus of stone in the king's chamber. The dimensions are perfectly oriented for that to be the case. And mathematically, they orient around a very perfect mathematical constant that we recently discovered that is related to uh, gravity and time. And we call it the vacuum constant. Now, it is not something we published yet, but I found those dimensions precisely inside and related to the Ark of the Covenant itself. And then when I started studying the Bible and I found even this photograph just on a standard Google search of the camp of Israel and the tabernacle, which sat in the middle where Levi is on this picture on the bottom right. We already know that the pyramid is oriented around these four cardinal signs. And now in this picture on the bottom right of the screen, you'll see the camp of Israel was oriented in exact like manner to the same zodiacal cardinal signs as they traveled around in the wilderness for the tabernacle, the tent that was used to house the Ark of the Covenant when they were no longer traveling, because they'd stop in a place for years at times, right? It was a 40-year journey before they made it to the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. They kept getting lost, apparently. So what's interesting to me, though, is I started noticing some consistency in numbers, because if you look at this bottom right uh, photograph, you'll notice that it has Judah off to the right. If you go to Jerusalem today, you'll notice that Jerusalem has symbols everywhere, flags everywhere of a lion, because Judah is represented by the rampant lion. It's the lion standing up like this, and, and, and so that's a very common symbol across all of Jerusalem, and I was just there about a month ago. And, um, and, and so what you also notice is that Leo is sort of always representative of the sun right? It's, it's kind of Apollo. These are the symbology you see of Leo. It's in the middle of summer if you're in the northern hemisphere. And what's very interesting is the tribe of Judah, the Issachar, and the Zebulun tribes were all in the same place on this side of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. So it's shaped like a cross, and Judah was the largest of the tribes. And so Judah is where King David ended up coming through, and you know, the other tribes were sort of lost all the way through Eastern Europe and all the way up into Russia. Uh, and through what's called the diaspora, uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon, took over 
uh, and destroyed the, uh, the Jerusalem and the, the temple along with it. And then that temple was eventually replaced by Herod's temple in the time of Jesus, right? So this is about 583 BC. But what's interesting is I looked at those numbers and other people probably maybe didn't even notice the numbers, but I noticed the numbers because uh, first of all, the speed of light is 186,400 miles per second. Well, the number of the tribe members of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun together on this side of this cross that was surrounding the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle in the wilderness is 186,400. Now, what a coincidence that that lines up with the sun. And by the way, if I told you that the diameter of the sun is 864,000 miles, the diameter of Jupiter is 86,400 miles. And by the way, that's twice 432, and 432 squared is 186,000 miles also. It's the only number that squares to the speed of light. 432 in music, we all know, is a tuning standard that is used and created by Pythagoras. This is a harmonic frequency that relates to light speed. And you just take one and you add it or subtract it from the front. It's the same thing with phi. You could look at phi, 1.618. So that's the distance from here to here versus the distance from here to here. This is always going to be about 0.618 or 0.62 versus the distance from here to here, which would be 1.61 versus this distance here. Okay. So this is the golden ratio or Fibonacci sequence you've probably all heard about, right? It is sort of nature's mathematics and it governs how trees grow up and how many branches and leaves and everything end up on that tree or petals on a flower or how your body is shaped. We have receptors all through our body that are looking for five signatures everywhere. That's why our ear is a Fibonacci spiral. That's why the cochlea inside our ear is a Fibonacci spiral. That's why the turbinates inside our nose for our sense of smell are Fibonacci spirals. And that's why our irises and the retinal receptors in the back of our eyes are Fibonacci spirals. It's why our fingerprints are Fibonacci spirals for touch. And our taste buds are Fibonacci spirals. We're constantly looking for the signature of Fibonacci of phi 1.618. Now, what's interesting to me is that in the speed of light, you have it 1.864. But you take the one off the front, just like you do with 0.618 for baby phi or little phi versus big phi, 1.618. Interesting that our sun has the exact same uh, dimension or diameter as this number of the number of the tribe of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, which matches the sun, also matches the lion. Now, what about the other ones on here? Well, interesting to me also that Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, the opposite of the sun, on the right is a moon-related number because the radius of the moon is 1,080, right? And kind of interesting that they show up as opposite sides of each other. This is in the Bible written thousands of years ago. Boy, oh boy, how could they have known this? And all you gotta do is take 864, cut that in half, you get 432, cut that in half, you get 216, cut that in half, you get 108, right? It's an octaval re relationship of each other. And any one of you can find these references in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And then the Dan, Naphtali, and Asher is 157,600. Well, strangely, that's the gamma constant in mathematics, plus one. So that's Euler-Mascheroni constant, 1.577 to be exact, is the Euler-Mascheroni constant. And then 
at the bottom side of that. So Euler macaroni and its opposite is going to somehow relate to pi. And what a surprise. But 51.4 degrees on a compass reading comes out to be the same slope angle as the Great Pyramid itself, which relates to pi. Because it's the 0.14 of 3.14 multiplied by 360 degrees. It is a pi reference. So here on this one chart of the Camp of Israel, we have light speed that relates to the sun's diameter, the moon's radius, which also, of course, relates to its diameter. You have as well the Euler-Mascheroni constant, which relates to angular momentum and spin in physics. And on the bottom side, we have a pi reference. What a surprise. And by the way, Euler divided by pi equals 0.864. So just a little mystery to put in there for everyone on the day. Now let me take it to the next level. Because the word pyramid means fire in the middle, it can also be used synonymous with light. Because, you know, you're carrying torches around. It's like, we need some light. We need some fire. Well, what's interesting to me is that, of course, pyramid or pyramid in Greek, mid is a measurement. It's the center point, the mean, the median, right? So light's middle or mid or light's measurement. Light's mean. Now, this was kind of freaky for me because, uh, of course, I decided to look up on Google uh, what are the coordinates. I encourage all of you to do it. What are the coordinates, longitude, and latitude of the Great Pyramid? And, of course, with the Great Pyramid, even if you believe that it was built in dynastic Egypt by Khufu, which I do not, um, it's interesting because there was no latitude or longitude when the pyramid was built, right? It's not like we built the latitude and longitude system off of the pyramid, although we like to say pyramid is sort of the center of the Earth's landmass. We've all probably heard that commentary before. But what's interesting is that the latitude of the Great Pyramid in the center of the King's Chamber, in the sarcophagus in the King's Chamber, down to one meter accuracy, is this number right on top. It's 29.9792458 degrees north latitude. It's the center of the sarcophagus in the Great Pyramid. And it just so happens that the speed of light is the exact same number, down to one meter accuracy. So 299,792,458 meters per second is the speed of light in meters per second. And here we have the exact latitudinal reference for the Great Pyramid, center of the sarcophagus, center of the King's Chamber, or the inside side of the King's Chamber, excuse me, is exactly the same number. Oh, is that coincidence? That's a pretty damn good coincidence. That's impressive, right? That'd be like, what are the chances? What are the odds of that? But what about the longitude? So let's look at the longitude. And what I found out was that uh, it's 31.1342 uh, degrees east. And we knew that the Egyptian calendar was a 360-day calendar. Every day had one degree. And this, by the way, was the identical calendar used by the Sumerians as well, a 360-day calendar. So they didn't, they didn't use the extra five days. So then some people ask, well, was the year shorter then? I don't know. The Egyptians, at least in dynastic Egypt, explained it. They said, well, they had five days of sort of like, you know, catch-up days at the end of every year uh, between Christmas and New Year's. And this is when they would wait. You know, they'd have Sirius go down and then resurrect back up again at the end of the year. And so this was part of their whole process. Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky. And we already know there's a lot of alignments of the Great Pyramid associated with Sirius. 
But what I did is I found this language and part of the things you learn in etymology of number courses, you learn how to convert decimals into references of degrees on a circle. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Robert Grant. Um, if you made it all the way to the end, you realize how mind-blowing it is. And uh, oh, my goodness, like just the conversations that I have with him, like I can barely keep up. I did the entire etymology of number course on resonant science, and I did learn a lot. But holy crap, that is advanced. You can check it out at www.resonance dot is forward slash zen and you'll get a discount to the um, resonance academy which is amazing i did that last year and you can find this etymology of number course if you want to check out the arc crystals which are really amazing it's all a nasim haramine science in one crystal that creates a mini field you can check all that out at bit.ly forward slash arc crystal ark um what else is going on um thank you guys so much who've been supporting the show if you want to support the show please do one action of kindness if not three three acts of kindness is best try to do that but if you can't do three at least do one um and you can leave a review that's really helpful share this episode that's helpful and if you want to take an action and chip a buck in the bucket go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair thank you so much for those of you who have been doing that to all my patrons supporting the show supporting the work um it does allow me to do a good job and live life as i bring these guests to you um for those of you guys who want some coaching just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and basically i work with three types of people people committed to leveling up and they want to go from you know not knowing how to design their life they're a little bit like what the heck do i want to do we help you get clear um design a life that you design that you want to do that comes from your heart that's more passionate give you the tools to execute on that and move forward quickly and efficiently and do it from a state of fulfillment and then the other types of people are really high achievers they'd be uh entrepreneurs and athletes and people who are just you know working and they're really achieving and they want to learn all the best about peak performance consciousness uh the mental game zen whatever the case is um stress reduction things like that are pretty common in business as as well so if any of that you want to do in coaching whether it's a 90 minute session something a bit longer or speaking with your staff just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or make an inquiry at matt at zenathlete.com and myself and also david lone bear if you want to have us come speak just hit us up there as well Um, check out lonebearsarts.com as well as um, distant ancient echoes on facebook because we're releasing more of the technology we're going to be releasing um, more of his information Um, it's about time he said he's ready to share a little bit more about his history about his technology and and the absolutely incredible things that he's done you know he has the world record for putting an unmanned balloon into space Uh, he created uh, magnets these super ridiculously powerful three-pole magnets from the ancient copper scrolls so uh, he's ready to release some more technology and some more information so i'm super excited about that um we definitely need some help and support and uh views on there to help him do his work and that's why i'm here in maine to support him um so that's it uh check out uh the email list go go mattbelair.com sign up for the email list if you want the lucid dreaming check that out too but i'm gonna stop yammering and just uh let you guys go thank you so much for listening to this podcast thank you for being who you are thank you for um just listening i appreciate it and uh just go out there in your community and and do an act of kindness if you want i'd appreciate that support the show 
um, that's it. I got to get going. I'm a little bit rushed because I got to go over to uh, David's house and do some work. Um, we're filming lots of stuff. So anyway, I'm talking nonsense. Let's just get to a, a state of peace and coherence before we close out here. So take it a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just make the intention to come to total peace and coherence now through your intention. Let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Take another deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly. Allowing just total peace, total acceptance of self, all parts of self. Taking another deep breath in through your nose. Now doubling that acceptance, complete and total acceptance of self as it is, yourself as a whole, integrating shadow and all. And just let that breath out slowly with any limitation, any self-doubt, any limitation at all. And I'm sending you all of my encouragement, my love, my support, my my energy, my inspiration, my well wishes so that you remember that you are awesome, that you are whole, that you are complete, that you are coherent just as you are. So wishing you all the best. Have an amazing day and I'll see you in part two with Robert Grant.